Well, welcome to episode number two of season four of Fly on the Wall. I'm Alec. And I'm Abby, and make sure to follow us on all social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I think that's all. It's at Fly on the Wall Pod. And feel free to email us at any time at flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com. And we do follow back, so we'd appreciate anything you want to give us. And fun fact, I'm losing my voice, so stay tuned to see if I uh, don't lose it before the end of the episode. Um, okay, so, like I mentioned last time, Geopolitics has a great new fellows class, and their discussion groups start this upcoming week. Uh, find all the fellows at politics.georgetown.edu slash fellows. And today we're lucky to have one of our great fellows on the podcast, Aaron Connaughton. Aaron is a former Hoya, uh, and is now back uh, doing a Geopolitics fellowship here. Um, previously, she worked as the staff director of the House Armed Services Committee and the undersecretary of the Air Force at the Pentagon uh, and the undersecretary for personnel and readiness. So we are very excited to have her on the pod. So without further ado, let's welcome Erin. Connaughton, welcome to Fly on the Wall. We're very excited to have you. Hi guys, I'm thrilled to be here. Great, that's awesome. Uh, so jumping right into it, um, you served in the House Armed Services Committee. I did. For a while, yeah, and you were very involved in the Iraq negotiations. Um, so the House Armed Services Committee is really the only committee that passes an annual piece of legislation other than appropriations. Uh, so inevitably the bill, the bill is very broad, involves continuous legislation and negotiation, and requires bipartisan cooperation, yes. Um, so we wanted to focus specifically on the process of crafting that bill with respect to the U.S. involvement in Iraq. So. First question, um, sure. how did the 26, sorry, 2006 elections and new Democratic members of the committee influence how the committee approached the issue? Sure, thanks for the question mm-hmm. and uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be back on campus. Uh, I'm a very proud Hoya and uh, really glad to be back. Uh, yeah, so I was uh, on the staff of the House Armed Services Committee and very proud to then be the staff director, the head staffer on the committee. I was there when the Democrats were in the minority prior to 2006 and uh, as you pointed out in that election uh, at the end of 2006 the Democrats took over. Uh, It was perhaps we'll see similar to what might happen at the end of this year. Um, So at the beginning of 2007 the war in Iraq had been going on for several years. Uh, the The new Democratic majority led by the new speaker, Nancy Pelosi, uh, was wanting to make sure that we were doing rigorous oversight to see uh, what was really happening on the ground in Iraq and also to see uh, what might be done to bring that war to a responsible conclusion. It was very complex because we had new progressive members of the House who had run Uh, their campaigns on bringing the war to a responsible conclusion. We also had new members of the House who were uh, representing military districts. We had senior members of both the House Armed Services Committee and uh, the Defense Appropriations Committees who were wanting to make sure that the generals on the ground had what they needed and the troops had what they needed. To, um, to do uh, their mission responsibly. And so there were a lot of tensions and politics at play 
both inside the House and with the Republican White House, which was led by President Bush. So it was a very complex uh, spring, lots of negotiations at the senior levels uh, with uh, Speaker Pelosi, with other members of the House leadership, and with the broad array of Democrats within the caucus, and then with our Republican counterparts and the president. So ultimately, we held a lot of hearings, and in our legislation, put a lot of um, oversight and uh, requirements on both the administration and the Pentagon to come back to the Congress, uh, lay out plans, and let us know how they were going to move forward in Iraq. It was a great lesson, uh, one of the things that I'll be getting into here at Geopolitics in my discussion uh, groups about how challenging it is for Congress to be uh, involved in national security when so much power uh, lies vested with the president, um, mm -hmm. but a very exciting time to be in a new majority in, uh, in Congress. Yeah, so who would you characterize as some of the most important players in the negotiation? You mentioned that there were lots of new members who had uh, military districts and impl implications for their constituents. Right. Uh, do you think that was a strong motivator for them? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you had a lot of new Democrats who had just been elected, so they were very close to their campaign promises. So as I mentioned, some of those were progressives who had, had been very passionate about um, what was happening in Iraq and wanting to find ways to draw that war to a conclusion. I mean, I'll be honest, nobody wanted the war to, to go on uh, endlessly. There were just differences of opinion in terms of how the war should be brought to conclusion and how much um, deference or how much credibility should be put with the generals on the ground in terms of what their plan was moving forward. And so you really saw that, that vast array of, um, of opinions and uh, backgrounds that made up and continue to make up the Democratic caucus, particularly in the House of Representatives. And anytime you pass legislation, you have both the House and the Senate. So we were dealing with our Senate colleagues who did not have as much turnover in their election and who had, um, you know, a smaller group of people. But they were also uh, very concerned with the war. Uh, you know, at the time they were led by Senator Carl Levin from Michigan and Senator John McCain, who obviously everyone knows uh, about and, you know, we've just gotten through honoring for his life. And they were um, equally as passionate about the war. So, uh, you know, you took the politics that were happening in the House uh, as well as the White House and then get together with the Senate. And there were many, many opinions and there were many, many late nights of negotiating to get that bill done. Mm -hmm. um, so you kind of already mentioned this before, but mm -hmm. in your last few years on the job, there was a Democratic majority in the Congress, but then also a Republican president. So did that make negotiations more difficult to navigate? And were there any specific clashes that emerged between President Bush, Speaker Pelosi, and other leaders? Uh, always, but I will, I will tell you. <laughs> I will tell you that um, I actually stayed on uh, after uh, President Obama was elected um, before I went into the administration. Mm -hmm. And even when you've got uh, 
all um, the House, the Senate, and the presidency held by one party, there's still tensions and there's still negotiations because, you know, as the Constitution sets it up, the executive and the legislative branches inherently have different interests. So, uh, yes, it, it's a little bit um, easier when uh, to negotiate when all parties or when all of those bodies come from the same political party, but you still end up with some negotiations. But yes, um, certainly when uh, President Bush was uh, in office and there was a new Democratic um, uh, majority in the House, uh, yeah, there, I would say when it came to defense issues and national security issues, it was easier than on domestic issues. Um, as Because my boss was a committee chairman, we had the opportunity to sit in on leadership issues and certainly had the opportunity to hear about other things, uh, you know, whether it was energy policy or, you know, the beginning of conversations about um, education and, and other things that the new speaker and the new leadership were trying to work on uh, with the uh, Bush administration. And those were things where, um, uh, or banking reform, you know, these were mm -hmm. things where there was much more of a tension uh, and heads going much more at odds. Uh, whereas on national security issues, perhaps with the exception of the war, um, there was a lot of interest from the White House and our committee leadership on both sides, on the Republican and the Democratic side, in making sure that we could get legislation passed every year. So that was a unique experience uh, for me to be able to work in an environment where, yes, we would have our partisan battles, but at the end of the day, everybody had an interest in ensuring that the troops got what they needed and that we could find a way to negotiate an outcome to legislation that was actually going to pass. So you mentioned uh, that you eventually went over and worked in the Obama administration. I so did. you want to shift gears a little bit sure. and talk about that. Um, so one landmark piece of legislation that you worked on during your time at the Pentagon um, under Obama was your killing Don't Ask, Don't Tell, mm -hmm. a decision that allowed uh, members of the LGBT community to serve openly mm -hmm. in the military. Um, so tell us a bit, as a senior official at the Pentagon, what was your role uh, in terms of the implementation of that? Sure. So uh, the legislation uh, had come up in debate when I was still uh, over in the uh, Congress, but it actually passed the Congress once I had moved to the Pentagon. So the role of the Pentagon at that point was to find a way to responsibly implement it. And, um, you know, I have to say this was probably one of the biggest efforts undertaken by the military, and I think a true testament to everyone because there were virtually no problems in its implementation. It was undertaken very uh, deliberatively. It took a while. There were lots of surveys going out to the troops. There were a lot of plans that were put together. Uh, so at the beginning of the time that we worked on it, I was the Undersecretary of the Air Force, which meant that I was the number two civilian at the Air Force. So my counterpart was the number two uh, military official in the Air Force, the Vice Chief of Staff. So he and I went to endless meetings about this, but um, as 
<laughs> as long as those were, it was extremely helpful because the leadership of the Pentagon talked through all the concerns that people had and all the important things about why this was the right thing to do. And then the, uh, the leadership, particularly the uniform leadership, went out into the country, to the bases, and talked to people, let them know how this was going to be implemented and why this was absolutely the right thing to do. And it ended up going very, very smoothly. So that in my second job, uh, when I went to work directly for the Secretary of Defense, um, I was in charge of personnel and readiness, which basically meant I was in charge for the Secretary of Defense of anything that had to do with people or the readiness or ability of our troops to um, be able to take on any mission that was asked of them. So and that's broad. It's very broad. <laughs> so basically anything you can think of that has to do with people. And I used to tell my family, uh, it covered a lot of things, but anything that would end up on the front page of the Washington Post. So, you know, anything that had to do with healthcare or, um, you know, uh, in this case, the implementation of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Uh, that policy came through uh, my office. And so I got the opportunity over time to see just how few problems there were with that, with that policy. I mean, people, and I think it's you know, reflective of what has happened over time in our country. People don't have an issue with um, sexual orientation and that ended up being true in the military. People anticipated huge problems and largely there really weren't any, but it had to do in part because of planning and the military did a great job with that. So I was very proud of being part of a very small part of changing that policy and, and making sure that it went as smoothly as possible. Yeah, um, so you mentioned all the meetings and the yeah. processes you had to go through. During that whole time, was there any internal pushback or any stumbling blocks that um, you guys had to work through to make this successful? Well, I think at the beginning, uh, there were people who feared that there would be more pushback by the individual military units than there ended up being. And there were some who said, you know, we're actively in two wars right now. Why are we doing this right now? You know, wouldn't there be a better time? And and this is where uh, I think the the political leadership of the country had to lead and say, we're changing the law. It's, it's time. This is the right thing to do. And the great thing about the military is when given an order, they, they do it. And I will say the senior leadership of the military, they knew this was the right thing to do. And they helped make it happen in a very, very effective way. But yeah, at the beginning there was there was nervousness. They were they were dealing with a lot of other things in terms of deploying around the world. And you know, I think there was concern that there would be more problems with this than there actually were. Um, but I think the fact that they were given time to plan, they they very quickly got on board and, and it and it worked out. But, you know, it took the civilian leadership to say this is the right thing to do and this is where we're headed. So uh, in the end, 
I was pleased by how few problems there were. So it sounds like overall this was pretty much a smashing success, but looking back on it, is there anything you uh, wish had gone differently? Um, oh, well, I mean, you know, for all the, for all the, you know, lesbian, gay, you know, and bisexual troops out there, and we can talk about transgender separately because they've had a, a different path to walk, you know, you wish it had happened years before. You wish that they had not had, um, you know, the experience that they had under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. You wish the country had moved forward more quickly than it did. Um, no, I think once undertaken, it went about as smoothly smoothly as it could have. But, you know, on a human level, I, I wish it had happened much sooner than it, than it ended up happening. So... Yeah, that's about all I can say on that one. Mm -hmm. um, so after your time at the Pentagon and with the Secretary of Defense, mm -hmm. you finally moved away from public service for a while. So could you tell us a little bit more of what you've been up to sure. um, since the end of your time there? And also, why did you come, decide to come back to Georgetown as a fellow? Well, I needed to get out of Washington for a little bit. <laughs> I've told, and now you're back. <laughs> and now I'm back, right. No, I've told people um, who've come for career advice, uh, for years and years, you know, don't spend your entire career in Washington. It's it's good to get a, a ch change of pace. And I realized that I hadn't left Washington since I'd been in grad school. So um, mm -hmm. I realized I had to, you know, kind of follow my own advice. So uh, I did some consulting for a while. I spent a little bit of time at uh, places like Rand and, you know, mm -hmm. did a little bit of thinking and um, uh, lucky enough to spend uh, last year uh, at the Army War College in Carlisle uh, talking to some mid-career Army officers, uh, which was wonderful. And then I realized, you know, I, uh, I want to start getting back to D.C. and uh, I want to engage with some young people and... Uh, what would be better would be being able to get back to my alma mater. So uh, luckily I knew about the geopolitics program and uh, I applied to be one of the fellows here and get a discussion group going. So uh, I'm just thrilled to be here bringing a, a group talking about politics and national security this semester. So tell us a little bit more about your discussion group. Uh, what are the topics? When does it meet? Yeah, so it's going to meet Mondays from 4 to 5.30. Um, basically, it's taking a look at uh, national security from a very broad perspective. So certainly we'll look at foreign policy, we'll look at defense, uh, you know, why do we spend the amount of money we spend on defense, but we're also going to look at national security the way that this administration is looking at national security. So we'll look at border security. Uh, we'll look at the way that the president is conducting uh, <laughs> foreign policy for good or for ill, um, you know, foreign policy by tweet, um, and whether that's good for uh, the country. Um, we may look at trade if that's what folks want to look at. Um, basically, I would love to hear from the current uh, students at Georgetown, how you're thinking about national security going forward. It's, it's always been uh, the case historically uh, that we think of politics as stopping at the water's edge. And um, certainly in the last couple years, that has not been so much the case. Uh, national security has been more politicized and 
I'd like to talk about whether, you know, um, you guys think that that's where we should be headed and how we think about um, building a consensus in a different way. Uh, so anyway, I'm really excited about the conversation and uh, hope that a bunch of different folks from a bunch of different viewpoints will come out to be part of it. And um, yeah, it'll start next week, the 24th of September, run for eight weeks, come for one, come for all, or uh, stop by my office hours, which are uh, Mondays from 1.30 to 3.30 and uh, Tuesdays from 10 to 12, just to talk about being a Hoya or what you want to do with your life. And I'd, I'd love it. So you heard her. Go to discussion group and go to office hours. All right, one last thing. Sure. Uh, before we let you go, we like to finish up with a lightning round here on Fly on the Wall. All right. So, promise these aren't too tough, but just the... Uh, <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> just the uh, first quick answer that comes to mind. Okay. Uh, so, number one, uh, if you could go back to work at one place, would it be the Hill or the Pentagon? The Hill. Okay. Um, so, take your best guess. How many um, all-nighters did you pull when you worked at the Pentagon? Oh, at the Pentagon, none. On the Hill, tons. Oh, Fair okay. enough. I thought it'd be the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, if I if I uh, on at the Pentagon, if I had done it, I would have kept about eight people doing it with me. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you so much. It was Thanks, a you guys. Great interview. We're uh, glad to have you as episode number two on season four. All right. Thanks, thank guys. Yeah. Thank, thank you so you. much. And surprise, I managed not to lose my voice. Um, great interview with Aaron. Uh, we're very glad you can make it on the pod uh, this week before discussion groups begin. As a reminder, her discussion group is Mondays, 4 to 5.30, talking about United States national security. Make sure to go to that. Make sure to go to her office hours, talk about all things national security, Georgetown, career advice. Uh, she and the rest of the fellows will be a great resource. Yes, and lastly, make sure to follow us on social media at Fly on the Wall Pod, Facebook, Insta, and Twitter. And we'll see you next week.